Hello and welcome to the first episode in this series on bridging the left-right divide. And I'm guessing that we all feel the importance of this topic nowadays. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, from my perspective here in the United States, it really seems very often like the hostility between the opposing sides in our political uh, situation has just spiraled out of control. And it seems to be getting worse even. So my hope with this series is to strengthen and encourage you who are listening to this as a bridge builder and as a peacemaker. And I want to share some of the very most helpful ideas and insights that I've learned from others in this regard. And how the best understanding that I have received, that I've read about, heard from others, really frames the political situation in terms of human evolution. Because the warring ideologies that we have now did not arise in some kind of philosophical vacuum. They're very much part of our evolution as a species, as human beings, and as a, as a biological organism on planet Earth. So as we explore these themes of human evolution and politics, we're going to look at the book of Genesis. Because these stories at the beginning of Genesis are very much about the evolution of human society. And the wisdom of these ancient texts, I think, is startlingly relevant to current events. So today, we're going to talk about first how the political left and right seem to represent the left and right hemispheres of the brain. And then we'll consider the story of Adam and Eve with reference to this left-right divide. And then finally, we'll consider the implications for our personal lives uh, with the overall theme today being just about bridging the divide, the divide between left and right. So because I'm going to be introducing some ideas that I don't really see being discussed too much in publicly, I'm going to also publish a print version of this talk in case that might be helpful for reference or if for people who don't particularly want to listen to the whole thing but are curious about the ideas. So first, how the political left-right divide seems to be related to our two-part brain structure as human beings. This is based on a theory by a neuroscientific researcher named Ian McGilchrist, whom I've mentioned before in previous podcasts. And of course, what I'm going to say is my own highly inexpert take on the idea. But as I understand it, the basic idea is this. The left and right hemispheres of the brain seem to represent two radically different ways of knowing or being in the world. This is based on studies of things like people who've had a stroke or some other kind of damage to one hemisphere of the brain only, as well as laboratory experiments in which one hemisphere of the brain is deactivated. So what these studies seem to indicate is that the left hemisphere of the brain is more control-oriented. So it controls the right hand and the rest of the right uh, side of the body. And the right hand obviously is what most people prefer to use in handling objects. But even in left-handed people, the use of tools and implements is still coded in the left hemisphere, interestingly. Now, if you think of the left 
hemisphere then as being about controlling things or effecting changes in the world, then you can see why it is that it seems to create, and uh, the left hemisphere seems to create an oversimplified understanding of reality. So it creates mental shortcuts and it views the world um, in a way that ends up being kind of like a map. A map is very useful for getting you where you need to go, but it's very simplistic. So the left hemisphere is very good at manipulating things, putting things in order, it categorizes, it makes generalizations, and it has a mechanistic, reductionistic view of the world. And when the belief systems that the left hemisphere have created are challenged, then it tends to respond with anger, with condemnation and rationalizations. So the left hemisphere does not handle criticism well. All right, so that's, that's the science. But then McGilchrist makes this argument that we can also see the dominance of the left hemisphere in society at large in cultural trends and in politics. So left hemisphere dominance in politics means greater reliance on rules and procedures. It means a tendency to analyze complex, complex systems in reductionistic terms. Uh, you could also see it in the attempted suppression of opposing points of view uh, or in defining people as members of categories, so for example, race, class, gender, before thinking, them of, before thinking of them as unique individuals. So we can broadly associate the left hemisphere with authoritarianism and with the political left, so socialism and communism being the, uh, the extreme end of that side of the political spectrum. The right hemisphere of the brain, by contrast, is more able to see things as they are in their uniqueness, their specificity, the richness of detail, their mysteriousness or otherness. It seems like the right hemisphere is what people are accessing with mindfulness meditation or other spiritual practices. And I think it could be said that it plays the key role in social bonding and social awareness. It seems to be what gives people a sense of purpose and meaning in life. There's a famous TED talk by Jill Bolt Taylor titled My Stroke of Insight, where she describes the experience of having a stroke that largely shut down the left hemisphere of her brain. And with diminished use of her left hemisphere, she could barely accomplish a simple task like calling 911 because the left hemisphere, well, it's sort of like the practical side of us that gets the job done. And so she was missing that. But being forced to rely mostly on her right hemisphere then, what she describes is this profoundly spiritual experience, like an enlightenment, where she sees the world without judgment and the beauty and the meaning and the interrelatedness of all things. So it's really fascinating. <laughs> and if you haven't seen it, you might look it up. It's uh, It's a... Yeah, like I said, just a fascinating study in the difference between these two ways of being in the world. So the influence of the right hemisphere then politically, in contrast to the left, would be less rule-oriented. It would favor context-based decisions. So something more like, you do what's right for you, I'll do what's right for me. And there would be more tolerance of ambiguity. 
more emphasis on individual discernment. And we could associate with, then, libertarianism and anarchism as the extreme side of that, uh, that end of the spectrum, the least amount of government control. So that's how the political left and the political right seem to represent the left and right hemispheres of the brain. Now, in the United States, it gets a little more complicated because there are authoritarian tendencies in both of our major political parties, the one that we consider right and the one that we consider left both. But we do have a few true libertarians that represent the actual political right. Uh, and the Republicans are in some ways their allies. So there is that. Uh, it, it kind of fits in a broad way. And of course, in other nations, then there are other complicating factors as well. So it's not, uh, you know, we don't want to apply this in a, in a simplistic faction, uh, fashion or be reductionistic about it, obviously. But the next thing that's important to understand about this is that the left hemisphere way of being, or this more authoritarian political approach, does seem to be increasingly dominant in society. So much so that Ian McGilchrist describes himself as trying to sound an alarm about the danger of our current trajectory. And as we begin to consider why that trend of authoritarianism might be happening, I'm going to take us to the story of Adam and Eve. Because the story of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden can actually be read as a story of the left hemisphere or control-oriented authoritarian way of being becoming dominant in human society, or increasingly dominant where it was less so before. I was first introduced to this idea not knowing the stuff about left and right hemispheres at all, but just reading neo-orthodox theologians Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and the idea is that before Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they actually already knew the difference between good and evil. They knew good and evil through their relationship with God. So they knew that obeying God was right and disobeying God was wrong. And when they ate of the fruit, they came to know good and evil in the manner that God knows good and evil, which is to say, they came to know it as the arbiters of good and evil, which is what the serpent promises them. He says, you'll become like God, right, knowing good and evil. So they were now sitting in judgment over the world, meeting out condemnation and approval according to their own ideas, according to their own rules, rather than looking to God as the definition of right, uh, of what is right and wrong. Now, next time we'll discuss how it is that this change was probably driven, this, this shift was driven by a shift away from a nomadic lifestyle and toward a farming lifestyle. And then after that, the development of cities and then of nations, which sets us on the trajectory of increasing authoritarianism that we see today and increasing reliance on the left hemisphere. Uh, so we'll wait until next time to really get into that because today I want to say more about this interpretation of the two different ways of knowing good and evil. And I want to say a little bit more and not just move on because to me this interpretation was so powerful from the first time that I read it when I was in college. And to me it described this contrast in two ways of being that was so dramatic in my experience. And it is the same difference that I recognize 
in Ian McGilchrist's theory of the left and the right hemispheres. So to me, there's this huge difference between what it feels like having my own personal ideas about right and wrong, which I use then to judge the world, which feels horrible. <laughs> you know, it, to me, it, it feels inherently sort of destructive or um, unhealthy versus a feeling of being in a right relationship with God or an attitude of humility and honesty toward a greater reality, which feels like direct perception of reality itself, um, which feels joyful and peaceful and harmonious. So, you know, if you've experienced it, then it, then it makes sense. Uh, but interestingly, I can now see much better than I did in the past why it is that phrasing this, this experience in terms of obedience to God would be confusing for many people, because then it sounds like Oh, well, this is just another kind of authoritarianism that, you know, it sounds like religion is just, it's imposing another idea where God is just an idea that people use to judge the world. And of course, to me then, God is not an idea. God is this greater reality that's beyond my comprehension, but which somehow I can connect with in this mysterious way. So this left-right hemisphere theory offers a really helpful new frame of reference for explaining this contrast. And I would say that this contrast is really what Christians are getting at with terms like worldly versus spiritual, or living according to the law, which brings death, versus the spirit, which gives life. Or we talk about works-based righteousness versus being saved by grace through faith. So these are all then, it seems, ways of describing these two radically different ways of being that seem to represent the activation of different parts of the brain. And obviously, I'm also here, well, maybe not so obviously, but I'm alluding to the Christian resolution of the problem of the fall of humankind, which is how we classically describe what the story of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit is about. And which, as I said, you could interpret it as the story of the left hemisphere becoming increasingly dominant in human society. And how, in some ways, that feels very wrong to us <laughs> as, as uh, humans. So the resolution of that then, living according to the Spirit, by grace through faith in Christ, it represents the integration of the left and the right hemisphere's way of being. So it's a life of both mystic contemplation and active service. A life of both liberty and responsibility. And this is a much bigger discussion that we'll say more about later. But for the time being, we'll just move on to discuss what this means for us personally. As bridge builders and as peacemakers, in the world today. Because we really would do well, I think, to take a moment and consider how each of us in our daily life can integrate these two ways of being. To be in the world, but not of it. To be wise as, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So first of all, I'm just going to suggest that most of us could benefit from strengthening our spiritual practice. As I said, the left hemisphere, or the worldly or law-based way of being, 
tends to be dominant in society, and so it's good to practice whatever helps us to access or activate that spiritual or right hemisphere way of being. And I actually requested a song for Brandon to sing today, which is called Hallelujahs by Chris Rice. And now it's this beautiful song about the awe and wonder that one feels in nature. And I thought that would be the perfect uh, thing to sing because for a lot of people, being outdoors or being out in nature is probably the most powerful or the most accessible spiritual practice or way to reach that sense of harmony and, and inner peace. For me, obviously, well, not obviously, but for me, there's also Christian worship and other religions have their own methods in some ways similar or in some ways different. So spiritual practice, that's very general as a suggestion. But I would like uh, to make one last suggestion, which is more specific, something that you can remember when you're getting angry about politics, right? Because we are talking about politics and bridging the divide and I know that I definitely do get mad about politics sometimes. I get mad when people advocate for things that I think are just wrong. And so if that's something that ever happens to you, then I would invite you to maybe just take a moment with me to bring to mind something that it is that you get mad about and maybe a certain political policy that others advocate for and you think is wrong something that you're really opposed to. And you can pause the recording if you need a moment to think of something. So once you've thought of something, then try telling yourself, that policy violates my ideas about right and wrong. Because it absolutely does. It violates your ideas. Okay, now, take a couple of deep breaths. Okay, now take a step back from your ideas and remember that your ideas are in your head and the real world extends beyond you. And obviously God is beyond your ideas, beyond your mind. And you can practice trying to set aside your ideas about what the world ought to be and try to see the world simply as it is. You can ask God to show you the real world beyond your ideas. Now, to be clear, this is probably not going to demonstrate that, well, actually, the thing that you oppose is good, you know, very unlikely. Uh, But it's much more likely that you'll see the situation with less anger and with more compassion. And if you ever find yourself wanting or needing to talk to someone on the other side of this issue, then coming from a place of compassion rather than anger can make all the difference in how the conversation goes. So, anyway, when you're upset about politics and about the horrible things that other people are advocating, then you can remind yourself that violates my ideas about right and wrong. And then, a couple deep breaths,
and maybe ask, if I looked beyond my ideas, what would I see? Okay, so now we're going to listen to this awesome song that Brandon has been practicing. And uh, if you happen to know it, of course, feel free to sing along, but I know it's not that well known. of salt and dance of waves and my soul wells up with hallelujahs lightning flash my bounding heart a breaching whale a shooting star give testimony that you are and my soul wells up with hallelujahs Praise Him all His mighty works There is no language where you can be heard Your song goes on to all the earth Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah O cratered moon and sparrow's wings O thunder's boom Saturn's rings unveil our Father as you sing, and my soul wells up with hallelujahs. Oh, praise Him all His mighty works. There is no language where you can't be heard. Your song goes out to all the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A pulse of life within my wrist, a fallen snow, a rising mist. There is no higher praise than this, and my soul wells up. Oh, my soul wells up. Yes, my soul wells up with hallelujah. Oh, praise Him all His mighty works. There is no language where you can't be heard. Your song goes on to all the earth. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Brennan. 
right, let's just take a moment in prayer together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for the wonder of this planet which we call home. Thank you for giving us the understanding to see and to know the awesomeness of your creation, the just the complexity, the intricacy, the beauty of this place that we are a part of, not just that is our home, but that is part of us and we part of it. And we ask that you would strengthen us in our ability to recognize our true part in this world, to understand ourselves as part of your creation, part of nature, part of the evolution of life on this planet, so that we can better live according to your will and your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, and we'll be back next week, God willing. Until then.